At Wildwood Community Church, we are for following Jesus together to the glory of God. We're for the church, for the community, for the nations, and for the next generation. To contact us or for more information, see our website at wildwoodchurch.org. We are going to be wrapping up a sermon series today that we began a couple of weeks ago called In God We Trust, Three Thoughts About God and Money. Uh, Today we will be in part three of this sermon series where we're going to be looking at Luke chapter 16 verses 1 through 13. Luke 16, 1 through 13. That's where we're going to be today. But because, you know, We've lived a lot of life in the last couple of weeks, and there is some madness in March, and maybe we've been scattered around the region uh, for some travel on spring break. It is helpful for us to remember the things that we have seen inside of this series. So let's remember what we saw in weeks one and two. The first week of this series, we saw that God owns it all. He owns it all. And we we saw this in 1 Chronicles chapter 29, when King David prayed over all the resources that had been gathered for the construction of the temple. And he said, God, all of this is yours. Who are we to give you anything? It's already yours, Lord. And we talked about how God doesn't just have 10% of what he has entrusted to us, but actually God owns it all. And then We talked about last week how the God who owns it all has made us managers of his resources. He has made us stewards. He has entrusted to us a number of things, time and talent and treasure, that we might use them, manage them, deploy them according to his purpose as we live out our lives. And we kind of pictured this, again, by thinking of a couple of cards, one card that represents our souls and one card that represents our stuff. And we talked about with our souls, we freely offer our souls to God because of who he is and the grace and the mercy that he has and what Jesus has done for us on the cross. We offer him our souls. Why is it that we cling to so tightly the stuff that he has entrusted to us? He gave it to us, but he gave it to us to to manage for his purpose. So having received this, what are we to do with it? How are we to invest it according to his purpose? Well, today we're going to talk about that. As we see in part three of this series, that we are to invest his resources today in light of the ultimate tomorrow. Again, we see this in Luke chapter 16. So if you've got a Bible, take it out and turn to Luke 16. I, I want to read the first 13 verses of Luke 16 for us. And then after reading them, we'll back up and I'll make a couple of observations from these verses to connect them to our lives. Luke 16 and verse 1 says this. He also said to the disciples, he being Jesus, there was a rich man who had a manager and charges were brought to him that this man was wasting his possessions. And so he called him and said to him, what is this that I hear about you? Turn in the account of your management, for you can no longer be manager. And the manager said to himself, what shall I do? Since my master is taking the management away from me, I'm not strong enough to dig and I'm ashamed to beg. I have decided what to do so that when I'm removed from management, people may receive me into their houses. So summoning his master's debtors, one by one, he said to the first, how much do you owe my master? And he said, a hundred measures of oil. And he said to him, take your bill, sit down quickly and write 50. Then he said to another, and how much do you owe? And he said, a hundred measures of wheat. And he said to him, take your bill and write down 80. The master commended the dishonest manager for his shrewdness. For the sons of this world 
are more shrewd in dealing with their own generation than the sons of light. And I tell you, make friends for yourselves by means of unrighteous wealth, so that when it fails, they may receive you into eternal dwellings. One who is faithful in a very little is also faithful in much, and one who is dishonest in a very little is also dishonest in much. If then you have not been faithful in the unrighteous wealth, who will entrust to you the true riches? And if you have not been faithful in that which is in others, who will give to you that which is your own? No servant can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. And so we see this parable that Jesus taught in Luke 16. Now, what can we draw from it? Well, I want us to see two things today. The first thing I want us to see is this. Don't be a fool. Don't be a fool. Now, we'll see this in the first 12 verses, but before we get to those verses, I want to remind us of a significant moment in church history. And it has to do with a man by the name of Jim Elliott. Jim Elliott heard the great commission of Jesus and led by the Spirit of God, he together with a number of friends decided to go and take the gospel to a group of indigenous people who were living in Ecuador who desperately needed to know about Jesus. Now, I'm sure that there were those around them who looked at what they were doing and said, that is foolish. You could get a really nice paying job here in America. Why are you going there? You might get killed over there. Why would you go and risk your life? to share the gospel with these folks. Well, Jim Elliott, hearing these concerns, actually gave this amazing statement. He says, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. See, Jim Elliott knew that his life would not be his forever. The number of days he had were limited. He was going to spend them doing something. He was going to die one day. And not only that, but whatever resources he touched, he would not take with him to the other side of the grave. And so knowing that he would ultimately lose his life doing something, ultimately he would lose his possessions doing something, he says he is no fool who takes that which he is definitely going to lose and exchanges it for something that he cannot lose. And so he goes to Ecuador. And in fact, he gave his life as a martyr for that cause. And yet, when we think of what happened on the other side of that event, many people from that indigenous tribe ended up trusting Christ after Elliot's death. And I can imagine Jim Elliot in the presence of heaven right now with Jesus, welcoming into his arms those who he died to get the gospel to. Friends, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Now, that story is encouraging, it's inspiring, it's challenging, but what in the world does it have to do with Luke 16? Well, let's look at Luke 16. And admittedly, Luke 16 tells a very peculiar parable. It's a peculiar parable. It's a strange story to our ears, is it not? Because the hero of this story is who? Well, what does it say at the top of your Bible? If you've got like a little subheading, it calls the hero of this story the dishonest manager. That's a peculiar parable. So Jesus makes up this story that is true to life to illustrate a point. What is it that Jesus is trying to teach us 
through telling this peculiar parable. Well, a few things we need to know. The first thing we need to know is that Jesus is telling this story to the disciples. Jesus, when he told his parables, he told them to different audiences. In Luke chapter 15, it talks about a crowd of tax collectors and sinners and Pharisees that gathered around Jesus. And so he tells them these three stories, story of a lost coin, a story of a lost sheep, and ultimately the story of a lost son, the prodigal son. And so we, we see Jesus telling that story to that audience. But when we get to chapter 16, the audience is a little bit different. It says that Jesus said to the disciples, Jesus gives this illustration to those who are committed to Christ, those who believe in him, those who were following him. And so today, if you are here and you have trusted in Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, then this parable has something in here for us. And if we have not made the decision to trust Christ and follow him, this parable might not make a ton of sense to you today. But for those who have already chosen to follow Christ, there is a great truth in Luke 16. So what is the truth that we see there? Well, he tells it to his disciples. The second thing, though, we need to see is that he tells this story to potentially discouraged disciples. Discouraged disciples. Now, why do I say discouraged disciples? Well, I say that because he tells the story of someone who had wasted the possessions of their master. Someone who had wasted the possessions of the owner for whom they worked. Now, when we think about connecting this to the disciples, it's possible, maybe even probable, that those of us who have begun to follow Christ, who have trusted him, who have made him our Lord, have also simultaneously wasted some of the time, talent, and treasure that the Lord has entrusted to us. It's absolutely possible that when we think backwards on our lives, we remember an era, a season. We might be coming out of it right now where we have squandered and wasted and not used for God's purposes the things that he has entrusted to us. And when we've been walking through this series, you might have experienced some conviction in your heart related to that. You might be a discouraged disciple who feel like you have wasted some possessions, Unless you think I'm making too much of this word, we need to remember that Jesus tells this story and Luke records it with a literary connection back to the story he told in Luke 15. In Luke 15, Jesus tells the story of a son who comes to his father and basically says to his dad, this is the Mark paraphrase version, dad, I wish you were dead so that I had your stuff. So the son says that, and the dad says, okay, I'll give you half of all of my possessions. So the, the father gives the son half of his possessions. And what does the son do with that, that set of, of, mon of money? He squanders it, in prop he squanders his property in reckless living. Now, this word squander is the very same word as we see in Luke 16.1 in terms of wasting. So when we look at Luke 15, we have the story of the prodigal son. When we look at 16, we have the story of the prodigal steward. And so if we find ourselves in a position where we understand now that God has entrusted time, talent, and treasure to us, but we look back with regret on how we handled that in the past, we have something in common with this account. Now, to this discouraged disciple, Jesus tells in this parable, 
What do we do now? What do we do now? In other words, we look back with regret on decisions that we made, but what do we do now? In part, that's what this parable is all about. So where do we see that in the parable? Well, apparently there was this manager, and this this manager has been entrusted resources from their master or the owner of the property. And so they were to, to take the company credit card, they were to take the company checkbook, and they were to use those resources according to the master's purposes. But apparently... They had, this manager had mismanaged those funds. We don't know if it was because of ignorance or if it was because of incompetence or if it was because of intentional error and rebellion. But for some reason, he had wasted the, the master's resources. And so the master lets him know, hey, you're going you're gonna to lose your job as a manager because you have so mismanaged resources in the past. And so Jesus, the master storyteller, drops this really funny line in the middle of this story. You can imagine the crowd gathered around him, and Jesus is telling this story. And and Jesus says this, he says, "And, And the manager said to himself, what shall I do since my master is taking the management away from me? I am not strong enough to dig, and I'm too proud to beg. Right? I mean, it's just kind of a a funny anecdote. He's like, "I'm, I'm a manager. I can't dig ditches. I mean, I don't have any calluses on my hands. I can't do that kind of work. And you know what? I used to manage this region. I can't go now take my coffee can down to the street corner and beg for money. What am I going to do? He realized that he had mismanaged the funds in the past. What does he do now? Well, he comes up with a plan. He says, I've decided what I'm going to do so that when I am removed from management, people may receive me into their houses. What was his plan? Well, his plan was to take whatever time he had left and to use it to prepare for the life that he would soon be in. And so he begins to call in those that owed his master money. Somebody comes in, he says, how much do you owe? And they said, we owe 100. And he says, make that 50. Now, what would that do for the way that the person who was the debtor would feel about the banker, the manager. It would make them have fond feelings for him. Think about this. Imagine your bank calls you this afternoon. Hey, would you come in? I'd like to meet with you tomorrow, you know, here at the bank in in the office. Great. I'll come into the bank. You know, you're kind of nervous. You walk in. They said, how much do you owe on your mortgage? You're like a hundred thousand dollars. What if your banker said, tell you what, let's make that 50,000. What do you think about that? What would be your thoughts about that banker? And what if you got another phone call and it was the lending institution for a vehicle that you drive? And they said, hey, come on in, let's meet. How much do you owe on that vehicle? And you said, 10,000. I said, I'll tell you what, let's make it eight. Now, if, if there was a banker who wrote off half of what you owed for your mortgage and then you saw them at Charleston's this, this, today for lunch, what would you do? You would invite them over. You'd buy them a drink. You'd have them sit down. You'd pay their tab. Why? Because you were thankful for what they did with the opportunity that they had. Jesus tells this story in a similar way to to let us know that we are to take advantage of the time that we have to prepare us for the life that is to come. The master commended the, the dishonest manager 
for his actions, not necessarily, but more for his shrewdness, for his strategy, for his forethought, for thinking ahead and planning for the life that was to come. The master commends the manager. And then Jesus provides this summary in verses 8 and 9 when he says, The sons of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own generation than the sons of light. And I tell you, make friends for yourselves by means of unrighteous wealth, so that when it fails, they may receive you into eternal dwellings. What Jesus was was saying was, he says, people in this world, we're used to this. They leverage opportunities today for their future. Jesus said, you who follow me should do the same, but in an honest way, in light of a sure reward. Our time, our talent, our treasure, we will spend on something. Jesus says, knowing that we won't take those things with us, may we invest them in relationships and in ministry that will go before us and with us into eternity. To say it another way, may we give to ministry today and to missions today so that others will be with us in eternity. This is what Jesus was teaching his disciples. Now, what are a few connections to this that we might find for for each of us? The first connection that I think we might find is this. We too may be discouraged disciples. Again, we may have a sense of regret about how we have managed the time, talent, and treasure that that God has entrusted to us. If that's the case, then we drop to our knees and we confess those wasted years, those wasted funds to him because he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But after we say amen, we get up and we begin to walk forward in a life investing what he has entrusted to us now according to his purposes. So we too may be discouraged disciples, but do not let that be your stop sign. Let that be the starting blocks. Now go forward and trust him with whatever opportunities you have in this moment. Second thing, there is no U-Haul behind the hearse. There is no U-Haul behind the hearse. You know, Jesus said that the, the wealth of this world will fail. It's what he said in the parable. It would fail. You know, the, the manager was no longer going to have access to those resources. They were, they were failing. He would, was not going to be able to take any of it in, in the future. And yet, he took advantage of the opportunity that he had to prepare for the life that was to come. Friends, the things that God has entrusted to us, we won't take with us to heaven. We won't take with us our vehicles. We won't take with us our houses. We won't take with us our bank accounts. We won't take with us our IRAs. All of those things are here. But when we go to heaven, there will be things waiting for us. Though we won't take the the riches of this world with us, there are true riches that we can pay ahead. This is why Jesus makes this statement in verses 10 to 12. He says, The one who is faithful in very little is also faithful in much, and the one who is dishonest in a very little is also dishonest in much. If then you have been faithful in the unrighteous wealth, who will entrust to you the true riches? We can't take this stuff with us, but the stuff that God has entrusted to us is a training ground for the true 
riches. If we are faithfully using the material resources that he has entrusted to us for his purpose, then God might entrust to us the true spiritual riches now and in the kingdom in his name. And so how are we handling the things that ultimately we will leave behind? So that leads us to the third point, that we would invest for the ultimate tomorrow today, that we would invest for the ultimate tomorrow today, that we would take the resources that God has entrusted to us, the, the material things that he has given to us, and we would deploy them, we would use them for spiritual good. Now, what is this spiritual good? Well, that we would take the things that God has entrusted to us and use it so that others might grow in their relationship with Christ or begin their relationship with Christ. One of the examples of that is when we take the things that God has given to us and we use it to care for another, to care for another, to, to help them out in their time of physical need. It might be someone in your, your small group. It might be someone in the church and they're struggling financially and you come alongside and you give some resources so that they might see that God has provided for their needs so that their faith in God might grow and so that they might follow him in a deeper way. When we give resources to purposes like that, when we care for those around us in the body of Christ, God is glorified. We are using them to increase the faith of others. I know individuals that, that care for people who are struggling in their married life around Wildwood, and they, they find out about it, and then they, they pay for that couple, that family, to go to a Family Life Weekend to Remember conference so that they might have an investment in their marriage. That's an example of taking some of the resources that God has entrusted to us and deploying them for God's purposes as we care for the needs of another. But not only that, but also that we would give towards missions. We would give towards the opportunity for others to hear the good news of Jesus Christ so that they might believe in his name. This is something that is true locally. You know, uh, Kimberly and I have the privilege to be a part of uh, supporting several individuals who are, who are working on the campus of the University of Oklahoma or ministering in, in different corners of our community, sharing the gospel with those who desperately need to know about Christ. What a privilege it is for us individually to, to take the resources that God has entrusted to us and to mobilize them, to deploy them so that others might hear the gospel. So that one day in heaven, when we get there by God's grace, that there might be someone that we meet in heaven who says, thank you for your investment that, that allowed me to, to be here. And we say, well, I don't even know that I've ever met you. And they would say, yes, but you gave to this individual or to this ministry that God used to get the gospel to me in the Fiji house at OU. And my life was forever changed. Thank you for your investment. Friends, we mobilize our resources now in light of what we are trusting God for tomorrow. And not only locally, but also internationally. We take the resources that we've given and we have the opportunity to send out missionaries around the world. And so many of you are supporting missionaries that Wildwood has sent around the world or others have sent around the world. And we celebrate what God is doing so that one day in heaven, that, that check that you have written month after month after month, the electronic deposit that has come out month after month after month, or, or the gift that you gave to help people go on a mission trip over spring break, 
When, when those funds go, and when we get to heaven, that there might be someone who meets us and in another language says to us, thank you for sharing the gospel with me. And you're like, I never even went to your country. And they would say, no, but you did. As you sent a missionary to come to my town. Friends, what is that? That is taking advantage of the opportunity that we have to invest the resources that God has entrusted to us according to his purpose so that others might come to know Christ. But not only with evangelism, but also with discipleship, that we would give so that others might have opportunities to be discipled and to grow in their relationship with God. Now, given these categories, I want to to add another layer to this. And this is a layer that oftentimes you might think would sound self-serving. And so I I just want you to know, admittedly, I work for Wildwood Community Church. Um, By God's grace uh, and, and the gifts of the congregation, I get a salary so that I have the opportunity to study Luke 16 during the week and have the chance to stand up here and talk about it on Sunday morning. That's a, a gift that God has given to me um, through you all. But, but I, I want you to know this. Why do we give to the local church? Why do we give to the local church? Now, you might think, well, we give to the local church because, you know, there's just things that have to be done. And that, that, there's a sense that that's true. We give to the local church because there's staff that need to have, you know, their bills paid. Okay, whatever, right? But, but there's actually a bigger picture to this. There's a bigger picture to this. And the bigger picture is this. When we give to the local church, when you write a check and you put it in one of those black boxes or you give online, what happens to that money? Well, collectively, we pool it together so that we can care for the congregation, so that we can provide spaces where we can gather, so that we can help meet physical needs as they come up of members. We we pool that money so that we can support activity that we lead, but also that partners lead in our community and around the world as we send missionaries so that others might come to know Christ. And and we, we pool that money so that discipleship can happen in rooms like this on Sunday, but also in our children's ministry, in our student ministry, college ministry, adult classes downstairs, small groups throughout the week. The resources that are given to a local church ultimately get used and deployed for these things. And so when we talk about giving as a part of our time of worship, it's significant because what we're saying is we're saying that God desires that we take the resources he has entrusted to us and we manage them according to his purpose. And part of the way that happens is by partnering together with the local church and pooling our resources to to be a part of, of God's work in our community. We do it individually, but also we do it collectively. And so, friends, we are reminded that the resources that God has entrusted to us, we will not take with us. And so, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Don't be a fool. But a second thing that we need to see, a second truth that we need to see is this. Serve God and not money. Serve God and not money. Now, this is something that comes clear in verse 13 of Luke 16, where Jesus wraps up this teaching by saying this, no servant can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. 
Jesus was saying that these are, are two forces that want to pull us in different directions. Not that we can't use God or use money as we serve and follow God, but they ultimately are things that independently would want to pull us in opposite directions. We can't walk both, both north and south at the same time. Jesus said we must choose. Are we going to, to serve God or are we going to serve money? Are we going to love God or are we going to love money? Now, why is it that Jesus is so concerned about our money? I mean, remember this. If he owns it all, he doesn't need our permission to take it, right? So why is it that Jesus talks about it at all? Why does does the scripture even talk about the stuff that God has entrusted to us? Well, it's because there's a very close connection between our treasure and our heart. And Jesus is very interested in our heart. We see this in Luke 6, 21. Jesus says, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The things that we give, the the places where we we put our affection, the places where we put and direct the stuff that God has entrusted to us, there our heart goes. And so Jesus is concerned with our hearts. So how is it that we can serve God as we handle the money that he has extended to us. To, to say that another way, you know, again, we've been in this series talking about this, this card, imagining all that God has entrusted to us. How do I take this and, and use it, all of it, for his purpose? Not just how do I use the, the, the five or six or 10% that I might give away, but, but how do I serve God with all of what he has entrusted to me? I want to conclude this series by looking at six different ways that we can serve God with the money that he's entrusted to us. So what are those ways? First way is by giving and then living. Giving and then living. Placing a priority on giving. You know, at the the beginning of this series, we talked about how in the Old Testament time, there was this principle of a tithe, uh, a 10% gift, we live in an era that is a New Testament era now, but 10% still might be a, a wonderful target and goal for you to shoot for in terms of a percentage-based gift. Um, for some, that might be really ambitious, and you might start right now with a, with a lower percentage. For others of you, it might be to expand that beyond 10% to something larger. But, but basically, the, the principle is determine the percentage that you're going to give and then with the first of what God has entrusted to you, give back to him. Don't, don't spend money and then, then with whatever is left over, give, give to God. Instead, give first and then live. Why? Because it's an it's a act of worship. It's a reminder that it is all the Lord's. And it's an illustration of what Jesus said in Matthew six thirty three: Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. So seek him first. Have a priority role with giving even before you move on to living. But beyond that, how do we serve God with all of the resources? Giving is a percentage, but what about the rest? Well, I want you to think about working for your wages, working for your wages. Now, this is an odd thing to insert here, but I think it's an important principle for us to remember. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, Paul makes this statement, if anyone is not willing to work, then let him not eat. Apparently, there were some in Thessalonica who 
were so convinced that Jesus was coming back soon that they just set their lawn chair on the hillside waiting for Jesus to come back and not working and living off of the resources of others. And Paul, you know, kind of chastises them and says, hey, you know what? You, you need to work. Now, is that so that they could say that their money was theirs? No, it ultimately all came from the Lord. But part of the way that God gives us resources is as we work. And so if you are able, and, and that's a, a part of, of, of your, your life, that you, as you work, work knowing that God is the one who is providing and have a sense of thankfulness when that paycheck comes month to month. Third thing that we think about is providing for your family. God has entrusted those resources to you. And a part of the reason why he's entrusted them for you is so that your household can be taken care of. First Timothy chapter 5 and verse 8, but if anyone does not provide for his relatives and especially for members of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Friends, God has given us not a percentage, God has given us all of it. He doesn't say 90% is yours, 10% is mine, it's all the Lord's. But a portion of what he has given to you is to provide for the needs of your family. And as you do so, be thankful that God has entrusted you the resources to be able to have a roof over your head and a vehicle to drive, food to eat, whatever it might be. Next thing, pay your taxes. Pay your taxes. Again, this is kind of an odd way to end this series, but it's important for us to see. The Apostle Paul says to the Romans, the Romans of all people, he says, pay to all what is owed them, taxes to whom taxes are owed. We honor God when we fulfill the obligations that we have around us, including paying the taxes that we owe. Again, God's not just interested in the percentage in all. How do we handle all? These are some of the ways. Another principle, save for the unknown. I say un in parentheses because it's unknown, but it's also kind of known, right? See, the Robinson family, we didn't know that our oven was going to die the week of Thanksgiving. We didn't know that, but we kind of knew it, Right? Something always breaks. Something's always going wrong. And the scripture talks in the Proverbs in chapter 6 about following the example of an ant who gathers on one day so they have resources for another. Because as Ecclesiastes says, we don't know the, what disaster is going to come. We know the disaster is going to come. We just don't know which one it's going to be. When we save and when we have the resources to pay the bill when it comes, rather than saying, wow, aren't I smart? Say, Lord, thank you for providing the resources yesterday to pay for the bill today. And then lastly, plan to help others. Plan to help others. It's a beautiful picture in, in the book of Deuteronomy where it talks about how in Deuteronomy 24, the Israelites were, were not to, to, to harvest to the edges of their field, but they were to leave some on the edges. They were to plan for those who had need to have something to eat. And, and so the principle, I think, for us is that there's something that honors God when we create enough margin in our lives, margin with our resources, so that others might be blessed. That every penny we receive, we don't think that's for me, but we think and plan for and look for opportunities to bless others around us. We've talked about some examples of that, but I think this picture of gleaning is helpful. And I, I talked to somebody just this last week whose life was in a really challenging spot and there was a 
person that had been impacted by this concept of, of gleaning, and they had set aside some money every month, and they were looking for opportunities to bless others from the abundance that God had given to them. And they knew that this person, or at least suspected that this person was in a moment of crisis, and they just came alongside and said, are you, got, are you having a hard time with your house? They said, yes, and a gift was given so that they could keep that house. And the encouragement, spiritual encouragement, friends, that came to that individual on the other side of that gift was off the charts because they saw God provide in their time of need. See, friends, when we think of our resources, don't think of them as yours. They're God's that you are managing for a time. How can you serve God with the resources he's entrusted to us? Serve God and not money. The three thoughts on God and money. He owns it all. He's made us managers. Invest his resources today in light of the ultimate tomorrow. Let me pray for us. Lord Jesus, thank you so much. Thanks for this this hope, this life, this light that we have seen as we realize the opportunity we have to serve you and to follow you, even with the resources you've entrusted to us. Lord, may we be people who trust you with it all and who honor you with the way that we handle the worldly resources that you've entrusted to us. We thank you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.